Well, take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1, and tonight I'd like to look with you at Christmas through Joseph's eyes. If you ask me, he's the one that kind of got overlooked when it came to all the Christmas carols. There's a song about the angels we have heard on high, and we three kings of Orion R, and... uh, the, the shepherds watching their sheep by night, and Mary, did you know? What about Joseph? Did he know anything? It's interesting, though, you think about it, that Joseph um, kind of gets left out uh, of all the celebration, all the praise, all the worship uh, surrounding Christmas. And I think it's interesting, uh, this text here in Matthew chapter 1 gives us insight into what was going on in Joseph's life and in Joseph's mind and heart uh, as he was dealing with this amazing miracle called the virgin birth. Read with me in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Matthew records, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who's been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to look at a very familiar text in your word, but I pray that we would hear it tonight with fresh ears, Lord, and with a renewed heart, Lord, that you would uh, open up our minds to to see wonderful things, Lord, in your word tonight, and that your spirit would make application of them. It's amazing to think the same spirit that impregnated Mary is the same spirit who is at work in our lives tonight. Uh, helping us understand this text and put it into practice in our lives. And so we thank you for this time. I pray that you would help us to be more conformed to the image of Christ uh, because of our time in your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin by reading a newsletter that I received a number of years ago from John Piper's Desiring God Ministries that I think creatively captures the intense drama in this text that might be lost uh, or maybe not felt by just reading it as we just did. This is the creative account of what we just read. Mary wasn't herself. Joseph had sent some urgency in a request that he meet her at their tree. She was staring at the ground. She seemed burdened. Mary, is something wrong? Joseph asked. She looked up at him intensely. Joseph, I'm pregnant. 
A blast of shock and disbelief hit him, blowing away all his coherent thoughts for a moment. His legs quivered. His, he grabbed at the tree to steady himself. It felt solid, rooted, and he stared at her. He was numb. No words came. Everything seemed surreal. Mary was still looking at him with her intense eyes. He saw no shame in them, no defensiveness, no defiance, not even tears. They looked innocent, and they were searching his eyes for an answer. Mary broke the charged silence. Joseph, what I need to tell you next, I don't even know how to say. Joseph leaned harder into the tree, bracing himself. He looked down at Mary's feet, her feet. They looked just the same as they did when he believed that she was pure. That was what made everything so strange. Mary looked as chaste as she ever did. If she had been the flirtatious type or some discernible character, had some discernible character weakness, this news might have been comprehensible. But Mary was literally the last person Joseph would have suspected of unfaithfulness. He could not imagine her with another lover. He didn't want to know who it was. What I'm going to say, Joseph, will be very difficult to believe, but will you hear me out? Still looking at Mary's feet, Joseph nod. Nod was very barely detectable. Mary said, I have not been unfaithful to you. Joseph lifted his eyes to her. Rape? That might explain her innocence. But why wouldn't she have told me? And then Mary said, God has caused me to become pregnant. This statement flew around in Joseph's mind looking for a place to land. It found none. Joseph, I know how it sounds, but I'm telling you the truth. And then Mary described an angelic visit and the message she had received. She was to bear a son conceived by the Holy Spirit who would be called the Son of the Most High who would sit on David's throne forever. God was the baby's father. Mary was pregnant with the Messiah. Mary sounded as sane as ever. Nothing about her was different except that she was claiming to be pregnant with God's child. He felt like his brain was exploding. Was she adding blasphemy now to adultery? He could not conceive of her being capable either. I, I don't even know what to say to you, Mary. I can't even think straight. I, I just need to be alone for a moment. Joseph spent the late afternoon walking up on the brow of the hill that overlooked Nazareth. Things were clear up there. From this 500-foot perspective, he could see the Sea of Galilee to the east, and to the west, he could just see the blue Mediterranean on the horizon. But he could not see how Mary's story could be true. He could not recall anything like it in the Torah. God, show me what to do, he pleaded. The sun was setting as Joseph walked back toward the nearly finished house that was to be their home, the house he had dreamed just that morning would someday know the happy voices of his and Mary's children. But now that dream was dead. His decision was made. Mary's claims were too incredible, maybe even delusional. He needed to end the betrothal. But he resolved to do it as quietly as possible, shielding Mary from avoidable shame because he still loved her. That night he fell asleep, exhausted from grief, 
And then the angel came to him, and his world was again flipped right side up. Of all the men in the Bible, none faced a more difficult dilemma requiring unquestioning faith and obedience than Joseph. And yet this righteous man who played a supporting role in the greatest story ever told is typically, as I mentioned earlier, overshadowed by the shepherds and the wise men and, of course, his wife Mary. And yet it's inconceivable that God would entrust the raising of his beloved son to just any man. And the fact that out of, out of the millions of men who ever lived, that God chose Joseph to be the foster father, if you will, of his son, means that he must have been a truly righteous man with, with the same spiritual maturity of men like Moses and, and David and Peter or Paul even. We know that Joseph was a humble, hardworking carpenter who plied his trade in a despised provincial town in, in the northern part of Israel called Nazareth. Besides what we read in, in this particular text, we, we know very little about Joseph's life other than uh, that, that, that he, he led his pregnant wife to Bethlehem where he secured a lowly stable for Mary and, uh, to give birth to God's son. We see that in Luke chapter 2. After his birth, Joseph took Jesus to the temple with Mary to be circumcised and dedicated to the Lord. Uh, we know a couple of years later, Joseph fled with Mary and Joseph to, to Egypt to protect uh, Jesus from Herod's bloody killing spree. We also know that after Herod died, that, that Joseph returned with them to Nazareth. And every year after that, he would bring his family to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. But it's unlikely that Joseph lived to see Jesus' public ministry because we never hear Jesus referencing anyone but his mother and his brothers. He never talks about his father. And he obviously died before Jesus' crucifixion since from, from the cross you'll remember that Jesus entrusted his mother Mary to the care of his disciple John. Obviously at that point she had been widowed. And so if it weren't for Matthew, including Joseph's story here in the, the first chapter of his gospel, Joseph would be nothing more than a forgotten figurine uh, in our uh, manger scenes, our crush scenes on our mantles. You ever think about that? You're unpacking the, the, the crush scene and you're just kind of, okay, here's, here's of course, here's baby Jesus and here's Mary and, and, and here's the, 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 the shepherds and here's the, what, and it's like, Where's Joseph? Well, I don't know. Is he this guy or is he this guy? And, you know, it's like he kind of gets overlooked in all this. I mean, if you were to lose one piece of your manger scene, I guess you could do without Joseph and it wouldn't be that big of a deal, right? Well, not really, because Matthew recorded the birth of Jesus Christ from Joseph's perspective. He explained Joseph's side of the story, whereas Luke presented Mary's side of the story. We'll see that in just a moment. But Matthew wrote his gospel to show that Jesus was the rightful heir to the Messianic throne. And in the opening chapter, uh, he detailed the genealogy, the birth and childhood of Jesus, which all point to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, 
who was prophesied in the Old Testament or prophesied about in the Old Testament who would come to rescue the Jews from their oppressors and fulfill God's promises for the nation of Israel. And in order to prove that Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies regarding their coming king, Matthew began by establishing his royal lineage, lineage from Abraham through David and then from David through Joseph. We don't have time to read that all, but you can just look back at verses 1 through through 17, and you see how uh, the lineage of Jesus is chron- chronicled there, starting from Abraham all the way through David, and then from David all the way to Joseph. Verse 16, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. Well, the fact that Jesus was born of Mary as it says here, without a human father, which again is indicated here in the genealogical record, it it, it demanded further explanation. And so Matthew continued on after this genealogy by filling in the details or providing a, a color commentary, if you will, of the birth of Jesus Christ from Joseph's perspective. And what we see in verses 18 through 25, I think, can best be understood and really only understood in light of Jewish marriage customs back in those days. Back in those days, couples would get married at a much younger age than they do today. The minimum marriageable age in Israel for women was 12 and for men it was 13. And so it's likely that Joseph and Mary were in their early teens when they were faced with this challenging providential predicament. Get out of, get out of your mind that they, they were in their t- mid-20s, you know, or early to mid or late 20s. No, they were, they were teenagers. And in that culture, marriages were arranged by the parents and contracts were negotiated oftentimes without the children's consent. Once a contract was agreed upon and, and a dowry paid by the man's family to the family of the future bride, the two individuals were betrothed or engaged to one another. And during this betrothal period, the couple was considered married, and the only way to break off that betrothal or that engagement was to get a divorce. However, even though they, they, they were considered husband and wife, they continued to live with their parents for one year. And this year-long waiting period provided time for the husband to prepare a home for his wife to live in, and it was also a time uh, that was intended to demonstrate the purity of the bride. If she was found to be pregnant during this period of time, she obviously was not the virgin as her, not a virgin as her parents had promised or pledged, but had been involved in some sexual relationship with another man. But if she was found faithful, I should say if she was found unfaithful, she would be convicted and sentenced to death by stoning. According to the law, Deuteronomy chapter 22, uh, she would die. And so this was a a very significant time in in the life of Joseph and Mary's relationship. We know if the bride's purity was proven over a year's time, the the husband would then go to her house, and and there would be a big processional march to, to lead his bride to his home, where they would begin living together as husband and wife, and at that point, they would consummate their marriage physically. And so Matthew's account here, the birth of Jesus Christ, again, needs to be understood in light of this historical, cultural background. 
Notice verse 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. So Mary and Joseph were in that one-year waiting period when Mary was found to be with child, and, and they had never had sexual intercourse, and yet Mary had gotten pregnant. I'm sure Joseph, being the godly man that he was, worked very hard to protect Mary's purity when, while they were engaged. Uh, he had never said or done anything inappropriate, and he'd, he'd remained faithful to her in his heart and in his, in his mind. And so when Mary broke the news to him that she was pregnant, I mean, he must have been heartbroken. He was devastated, bewildered. I mean, she was the last person he would have ever expected to get pregnant out of wedlock. And this is totally out of character for for Mary. And to add insult to injury, he was probably wondering what would possess her to come up with such an absurd story to justify her infidelity. Impregnated by the Holy Spirit? Are you kidding me? You expect me to believe that? Verse 19, and Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. So Joseph agonized over how to handle this very awkward situation that he had been put in. I mean, he loved Mary very much. He wanted her to be his wife, but above all, he wanted to do what was right in God's eyes. And whatever he did at this point, what was once an honorable and unadulterated relationship was now clouded with scandal and with suspicion. I mean, he couldn't believe that she was guilty of immorality, but, but neither could he believe her explanation of how she got pregnant. I mean, and no one else would either. Come on. And so in his mind, he had no other choice but just to divorce her. And yet Joseph wanted to do it privately and discreetly so as not to make a spectacle of Mary. He wanted to shield her from public shame and disgrace. He, not to mention, protect her from the possibility of being stoned to death. That was a very real possibility. If this got out, in the open. I mean, you can't, believe, you can't blame him for not believing her. I mean, why would he? Would you? I mean, in all of human history, there has never been anyone ever born to a virgin. <laughs> never had been up to that point, never has been since that point. I mean, let's be honest. When you see an unwed woman who's pregnant, there's only one possible explanation from a human perspective, right? And Joseph would have never believed Mary unless an angel from heaven confirmed that her story was true, and that's exactly what happened. Verse 20, but when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Now before God's word was, was complete, at times God used dreams to communicate his word and will to his people. 
Uh, and so an angel appeared to Joseph and, and verified Mary's story that, that she'd gotten pregnant by, not by another man, but by the Holy Spirit. In my opinion, I think this is the same angel who announced the birth of Christ to, to Mary. Uh, this would be Gabriel, and we, he's named specifically in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 26, it says this, Now in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He'll be great, he'll be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him, a, give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a, what? A virgin. The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. You say, exposit that. <laughs> Explain that. I can't. That's, you can't explain a miracle. And, and the virgin birth is one of the greatest miracles and, and greatest mysteries of the Christian faith. That's why we call it faith. You say, well, that's just not natural. <laughs> you're, you're absolutely right. It isn't natural. It's supernatural. And we need to remember that God is not bound by natural laws. He made the laws to begin with, and he can break them anytime he wants to. He can change them up if need be. And this is what he did in this situation, and that's why Gabriel went on to say in verse 37 of Luke chapter 1, for nothing will be impossible with God. This was impossible from a human perspective, but not from God's perspective. Easy schmeasy for God. Back in Matthew 1, verse 21, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You notice the angel in, in Joseph's dream repeated the same exact instructions to him that he'd already given to Mary. That's why I believe that this was the same angel, Gabriel. The child that Mary was carrying in her womb was was the unique Son of God who is to be given the name Jesus specifically because He would save His people from their sins. That word Jesus there, it really just means Jehovah is salvation. That's what the name Jesus means. Jehovah is salvation or simply Jehovah the Savior. Now you don't meet too many people today with the name Jesus. Maybe Jesus from time to time. But you don't see that name, but we need to understand that for Jewish boys centuries ago, this was a common name. This was like Michael or John today. But ever since then, the name Jesus 
has been associated with this holy child sent by God to secure the salvation of those that he chose to save. Notice it says, you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their, what? Sins. That word sin there literally means to miss the mark, to fail to hit the target. And that's a great description of, 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 of our lives, that we've missed the mark. We, we failed to hit the target. We, we failed to honor and obey God with our lives the way he deserves, the way he demands. And Paul in the book of Romans describes the sinfulness of man in terms like this, Romans chapter 3, verse 10. It is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There's not even one. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6, 23 says that the wages of sin is death. What we've earned because of our falling short and not honoring God and obeying God the way we should, we've earned death. And hell, eternal separation from God. Everlasting punishment, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Listen, whatever problems you might be facing in your life right now, whether it's in your marriage or your family or your finances or your health, listen, you've got a far worse problem. Your problems are worse than you realize. You are by nature an object of God's wrath. And no counselor or new job or doctor or anything can save you from that. Only Jesus can rescue us from the wrath of God, the the penalty and the power of sin. That's what it says in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. So your problems are worse than you realize, but the solution is greater than you can imagine. And that's the hope of the gospel. That's the good news that the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If we're willing to acknowledge our sin, that we've fallen short, God, we've not lived up to your standard. We deserve to be punished through death and hell. But we believe that Jesus, we believe you died for us on the cross, that you sent your son, you loved us so much, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross and to pay the penalty for our sin. He endured your wrath for us while he was on that cross. And if we're willing to acknowledge our sin and turn away from our sin and place our faith in Christ's work on our behalf, not our work, not if I'm just good enough and maybe I can make up for all my bad deeds and all my sin, no, 
you could live a million years and never make up, do good enough to make up for your sin. But what Jesus did on the cross is enough. That once and for all sacrifice was enough to make up for your sin. Look at verse 22. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And so Matthew confirmed here, uh, kind of offering some support, again, some color commentary uh, to this narrative that, that all this happened in order to fulfill God's eternal plan, which was prophesied uh, some 700 years earlier in the Old Testament by the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. He quotes that here in verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. I'm sure you realize this, that the virgin birth is the heart of the Christmas story. Without the virgin birth, you have no Christmas. And sadly, there are those who dismiss the virgin birth of Jesus Christ as as nothing more than a Christmas fairy tale or a myth and place the baby in a manger alongside Santa and Rudolph and Frosty and the Grinch. And what they don't realize is that without the virgin birth, there would be no salvation from sin. Why? Because if Jesus had a human father, he would have inherited Adam's sin nature, which means he wouldn't have been a perfect, unblemished sacrifice that satisfied God's judgment for sin. But at the same time, Jesus needed to to have a Uh, have a human mother in order to qualify as a representative of the human race. In other words, for him to die in our place, he had to be one of us. And in order to carry out God's plan of salvation, he had to be fully God and fully human. That's the mystery wrapped up in this name given to the child born of a virgin, prophesied in Isaiah, Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. God came from heaven to live on this earth with us. God didn't just shout from heaven, love you guys. He didn't send a a messenger, if you will, to save us from our sinful rebellion against us. He came himself, and he became one of us. The Christ child was God himself in a human body. Don't think about that too long. It'll make your brain explode, okay? If Jesus was anything less than God, God's plan for salvation of sinners would have been impossible. Listen to what some theologians have written. Some helpful statements here. One said this, quote, If Jesus was not God manifest in flesh, the life that was surrendered on the cross was only a human life and could never have taken away the sin of the world. As man, he could only have given a life for a life. As God, however, he laid down an infinite life that was more than sufficient 
to redeem any number of finite lives. Another man wrote this, quote, only God himself could satisfy his own standards of perfection. Only God could offer himself as a full payment that would satisfy his own righteous demands, fully appeasing his own wrath against our sin. God the judge passed the death sentence against us, then God the Savior came down to stand in front of us and absorb that sentence himself. It's the profound mystery of the incarnation. God with us. Verse 24, Joseph woke up from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. And so in response to the angel's intervention, Joseph abandoned his plan to divorce Mary and the moment he woke up, he stepped forward in, a, in obedient faith and immediately he brought Mary to live with him and began to care for her and provide for her as his wife. And yet, Matthew is quick to, to add here that he chose not to consummate their marriage until after Jesus was born. That she remained a virgin up until the birth of Christ. By the way, later in this gospel... Matthew recorded the names of of Joseph and Mary's other children, which proves that Mary did not remain a perpetual virgin as as some teach and believe. You just need to look at Matthew chapter 12, Matthew Matthew chapter 12 and 13. The names of Jesus' brothers and sisters are mentioned. And so all that being said, even though Joseph knew that no one would believe their story and that rumors about them would be flying all over town, they believed. They believed, and all, that's all that mattered. However, in time, this faithful couple would be vindicated by how perfectly and powerfully their, their son lived his life, People would have to admit that a supernatural birth was the only explanation for the supernatural life that Jesus lived. And sure enough, as as Jesus grew up, his life proved that he wasn't their son after all. He was God's son because only God could do the things that he did. And only God could say the things that he said. A skeptic who denied the virgin birth was arguing with a Christian about the virgin birth and asked them, listen, if I told you that a child over there was born without a human father, would you believe me? And the Christian replied, well, yes, if he lived the way Jesus lived. Joseph believed in the virgin birth. The question tonight is, do you? Someone put it this way, quote, no other fact is more important than the virgin birth. The virgin birth must have happened exactly the way the scripture says. If Jesus is simply the illegitimate child of Mary's infidelity, 
Or even if he is the child of Joseph's natural marital union with Mary, he is not God. And if he's not God, his claims are lies. And if his claims are lies, his salvation is a hoax. And if his salvation is a hoax, then we're all doomed. Aren't you glad that it's not a hoax? Aren't you glad it's not a a lie or a false claim? But, But this happened exactly the way the Bible says it happened. And for that, we can rejoice. And we can sing. And we can worship. And we can have hope that our sins are forgiven and that we will spend eternity with Jesus in heaven forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this account of the birth of Christ from Joseph's perspective and where we can't even begin to fathom what it must have been like to be in his sandals, to have to deal with this this unbelievable claim of his bride-to-be. But we thank you for confirming Mary's words through the angel Gabriel. And Lord, while we uh, have spent the last half hour or so in the realm of the impossible, in the realm of the miraculous, things that are completely unnatural and hard to grasp, Lord, from a human perspective. We pray you'd grant us the faith to believe that these things are true because it's what your word says. And Lord, I would pray specifically for anyone who's here tonight who is not a Christian. They've yet to acknowledge how far they've fallen short of your glory, of your standard of perfection. They've yet to turn away from their sin. They've yet to place their faith in Jesus Christ and his life and death as the only way that they could be made right with you. I pray that tonight, Lord, you would grant them understanding. You would open up their eyes to see, their ears to hear, that you would grant them repentance, Lord, a willingness to turn away from their life of sin, and you would grant them faith to believe that what they've heard tonight is the truth and that it has the power to change their life forever. Lord, I pray also that you would give all of us wisdom and courage as we'll have opportunities, I'm sure, tonight and tomorrow to share the gospel with unbelieving family members or maybe uh, people even this weekend, Lord, that we uh, do some after Christmas shopping with and and, uh, people that we bump into in the mall and Lord, that we would be bold with the gospel and we would capitalize on this perfect time of year to speak a word for Christ. Lord, that you would embolden us and just excite us. Lord, that we know the truth about Christmas and that we would want other people to know that truth as well. And so we would just be excited to share the good news of salvation with everyone we, we come in contact with. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.